Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today we are breaking down all things Week 8. we got 14 games on the slate. I'm excited, you're excited. Let's get to it. I brought in a very special guest to get this done. You all know him. He's on here every, every other week. Dwayne McFarland, PFF, established a run. You may have seen his utilization report. One of the single best, if not the best, even if we'll go on a ledge, uh, piece of fantasy football information you can find out there on the internet. Dwayne, what's going on, bro? Wow, man, I don't even know what to say, like, after that. <laughs> thank you. I, I appreciate that. I think you put out some pretty good stuff. There, there's some pretty quality content out there. But, yeah, man, I'm excited to be here. Um, definitely have some utilization nuggets to share with the folks today, along with some matchup stuff. So looking forward to jumping in and breaking down week eight. Dwayne and I are going through all these matchups. We're each going to give, you know, try to focus on one thing uh, uh, per team. I'm going to take the away squads. Dwayne has home, you know, okay, we're going to talk a little bit more about some special situations. But the goal is to give you all a nice early week fresher of course everyone still has time before the weekend to change our minds and particularly so if we're wrong what we're saying right now so without further ado let's get going we got the falcons at the panthers we got carolina opening up and staying around that two and a half point favorite mark uh over under a 51 and a half is down to 49 though and i just want to talk about matt ryan and what he's done with a healthy julio jones this season because we have week one against the seahawks and he goes for 450 yards and two touchdowns cowboys 273 yards and four touchdowns the vikings 371 yards and four touchdowns most recently he faces the lions 338 yards one touchdown should have could have been a win if uh, Todd Gurley could just restrain himself from quite uh falling into the end zone so look Matt Ryan's arm it looks as good as ever I mean just the, the deep routes that Ridley and Julio are consistently able to win on you know Ryan's always putting that ball exactly where it needs to be and we're starting to see him you know develop further chemistry with uh, Hayden Hurst so it's been good but I, I just think that you know throughout this year we've seen Matthew Stafford without Kenny Galladay struggle Gardner Minshew without DJ Chark like we need to realize that not everyone is going to be Aaron Ross and just keep balling out without their number one wide receiver. Uh, perfectly understandable if some of these guys, particularly in lesser schemes with uh, lesser offensive lines, will struggle when these guys are leaving. And particularly so when we look at just how wildly efficient Ryan has been with Julio and Calvin Ridley throughout his career. Matt Ryan has fed 24 players at least 50 career targets. Calvin Ridley's at 10.1 adjusted yards per target. Julio's at 9.7. Those marks rank first and third, respectively. And if you're wondering what number two is, Taylor Gabriel, still a free agent. Maybe go get him. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so basically, you know, do not be too hard on these QBs when the number one wide receiver isn't there, particularly when someone the caliber of Julio Jones keep firing up Matt Ryan as a QB1 as long as Julio is on the field. Dwayne, what's up with the Panthers? Yeah, man, with the Panthers this week, you know, obviously uh, it, it, the line is coming down, but we still expect this to be a shootout, even though it's a Thursday night game. Um, you know, I, I look at Bridgewater as a QB1 this week. You know, if you look at Atlanta, they're giving up on average 6.4 points more. Uh, to the quarterbacks they face than what the quarterbacks are averaging coming into the game. So I think it's a good week for Bridgewater. What's funny about Atlanta, and this is how fantasy works, right? This isn't like going and looking at DVOA or actually, you know, real stats. But, you know, running backs don't fare, you know, as well against Atlanta. But the good thing for Carolina is their backs stay involved in the passing game. Um, There's a slight chance, you know, that CMC could be available for this game. Uh, I don't know that they would give him a full workload. In fact, you know, the coach speak today on the street, you know, I don't know if we believe it or not, Ian, but it's that Mike Davis is going to have a role um, that he's earned that. But he's also dealing with a little bit of a tweaked, tweaked ankle as well for himself. So, I mean, for me, if CMC is out there, um, you know, I'm probably going to lean to using him over Mike Davis in this matchup, but it could be a tough call. I mean, that's if you own both. Um, if you don't own both and you own one or the other, so maybe you just own Mike Davis, you know, you'll just have to look at, you know, what your options are. If you've got a bye week issue, I wouldn't be afraid of that. 
Yeah, I think this could be the one week where it's still a somewhat split backfield, but once McCaffrey's healthy, come on. They got 64 million reasons to play this guy. And, you know, even you would have to go all the way back to 2017 to find a game where McCaffrey played fewer than 85% of the offensive snaps and wasn't injured. So, coach speak this, coach speak that. Unfortunately, I think Mike Davis will be back on the bench sooner rather than later. Uh, next matchup, we got the Steelers at the Ravens. Some For, for some reason, this hasn't been flexed Sunday night. Come on, it's not too late, NFL. Uh, do everyone a favor and get that Eagles-Cowboys game at 1 o'clock and off national TV where it belongs. Anyway, uh, Ravens open as 5.5 point favorites. That's down to 3.5. Also got the over-under dropping from 49 to 46.5. So I want to talk a little bit about Big Ben here because, I mean, this has just been the most brutal matchup really for any quarterback to face uh, for the better part of the last two seasons. Only Patrick Mahomes, and he's done it twice, has thrown for more than 225 yards with multiple touchdowns against this Ravens secondary since week one of last season. They've been even more dominant since they acquired Marcus Peters halfway through the 2019 season. So you look at Big Ben this year, yes, they're 6-0. Win, win, win is a win is a win. Rossberger, you know, they need him to stay healthy. So the fact he is being more of a game manager this year is great for the Steelers' end goal, which is obviously winning the Super Bowl. But for fantasy purposes, it's not that great because right now he's averaging a career low, 7.8 aver- uh, yards per uh, for just his average target depth. And, you know, in this matchup against a loaded secondary and an offense that I still just feel like doesn't really have a real identity with all these, you know, receivers shuffling around and, you know, James Conner's getting his workhorse rollback which is good to see but I just don't know that you know this is truly a 6-0 team that you know is going to go uh, win a matchup this tough so I don't want to call the Steelers frauds they're a very good team I just don't think they're quite as good as their record indicates at this point uh, to see you know the line dropping in favor of Pittsburgh still three and a half uh, point underdogs but I do think they get humbled a little bit by a Ravens team that should be plenty fresh coming off the bye Dwayne who you got on Baltimore yeah, man, I think this could be a funnel situation this week for Hollywood Brown. Um, you know, first, he's in a great situation. 33% of his targets come on play action. Um, 40% of his targets come up against a linebacker or safety in primary coverage. You know, they use a lot of the play action to get him to the middle of the field. And he look, if you look at Pittsburgh, to your point, you know, they've got some holes, you know, that are bigger than what a lot of people, you know, really think. And they're giving up plus 8.7 points. Um, two wide receivers, you know, so wide receivers coming in there averaging plus 8.7 versus what they are coming into that game versus the Steelers. So I think that really looks good, you know, for Hollywood, especially if it's a, situ- a situation where the Ravens do have to score more, more points if the Steelers are able to make it interesting. Um, you know, tight ends, you know, is a minus 5.6. The Steelers are actually pretty good at defending tight ends. So Andrews could, you know, you're always going to start Mark Andrews if you got him. I just, you know, I wouldn't necessarily make him a play in DFS this weekend, though. If you can, you're just going to kind of fade that. Um, you know, they're also a tougher matchup against running backs. So even if Mark Ingram is out and you're thinking about Dobbins or Gus Edwards, you probably want to try to avoid that if you can, you know, and, and plus we just still don't know what, what the Ravens are going to do that, you know, with the way they are, they'll, they'll activate, you know, they'll have Justice Hill in the game, you know, and it'll go back to being a three-way split. They love to get all these guys involved. So I wouldn't get overly excited about Dobbins this weekend, even though you may have paid a high draft pick for him. Yeah, hopefully we get that, you know, post-bye week, we see a rookie get more involved. That happened to DeAndre Swift. But just based on the first half usage and what we've kind of seen, even dating back to last season, I am with you. It's not looking great for J.K. Dobbins. 2021, though, uh, it'll be a different conversation then. Uh, Next matchup on the docket, we got the Jets at the Chiefs. 
Kansas City opens up as 21-point favorites. That is down to 19.5. Oh, my gosh, man. 48-point over-under a holding steady. So with the Jets, with Jameson Crowder still banged up with this groin injury, that pretty much leaves us with one viable guy. You know, maybe you're really drinking the Denzel Mims Kool-Aid, but I think Michael Pirine is the main guy that, you know, everyone should be kind of worried about on the Jets' side of the ball. And kudos to him. He led the way last week in the backfield. Got 67% of the offensive snaps, 11 carries and two targets. Ty Johnson was completely out of the picture. We saw Frank Gore still getting 31% snaps and 11 carries himself. He's not going away. I mean, to me, this is similar to the DeAndre Swift situation in, uh, with the Lions, where we have a rookie that leads the offense in snaps and targets, but they got to deal with this veteran early down grinder that is not leaving anytime soon. So, what's the big difference here? Obviously, the Lions are light years better than the Jets on offense. So, this is not, I'm not comparing Piran to Swift as a fantasy player, but just their situations with having that annoying, uh, you know, veteran back is going to consistently be stealing double digit carries, not ideal. So, Piran, you know, for me, probably. Probably going to be on that borderline of top 30 options at RB. There's worse guys you can have than, you know, someone's going to flirt with 10 or 15 touches per week. But, you know, this Jets offense, 20 points over the last three games. And I, even in a matchup against the Chiefs where, hey, it's going to be comeback mode and maybe targets for P. Ryan. He only had two last week, and we're going to be seeing this again and again. So if you can help it, just please don't play Jets unless it's a healthy Jamison Crowder. Dwayne, what's up with the Chiefs? Yeah, man, I agree on Piran. I think he's right there in that 30, you know, top 30 range. Yeah. And, you know, he could help you, you know, from a bye week standpoint. So I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, played, you know, like you said, with the snap, 70%. But the key is he gets all of the long down and distance. He gets all of the two-minute work. Well, what are the Jets constantly in? Long down and distance and two-minute work. So, uh, you know, to your point, this is not about real football. This is about fantasy football. So especially in P- PPR formats, you know, P. Ryan can have some low-end value and help get you through some lean weeks, especially with all the injuries we've seen. You know, as far as the Chiefs go, it's hard to get too excited, right, about anybody because it's going to be such a blowout. You know, I mean, the, the line is huge and it should be huge. And in these kind of situations, you know, it's 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 really tough, you know, for fantasy owners. I mean, you're going to start your Chiefs, right? You're going to start them no matter what. But you know that a lot of them are probably going to be rested by the third, maybe the, as soon as the third quarter, at the latest, the fourth quarter, a lot of these guys are going to get time off. Um, you know, we could see Le'Veon Bell revenge game here. Maybe, you know, they jump out to a huge lead and let Bell come out there and just work them over for maybe a quarter and a half in the second, you know, half of the game. I could see that as a certain possibility. If not, it's at least, you know, a nice narrative. Um, but the thing I would say about Clyde Edwards-Alaire, you know, and Bell, you know, we still don't know enough. Um, you know, I think Bell was still you know, probably limited to a very, you know, select number of plays that they felt comfortable with, that they knew, um, you know, that he knew the play. And so they were getting him in in those types of situations. But last week he didn't get on the field at all for long down and distance. He didn't get on the field at all in the two-minute offense, which really those are areas where you would expect in the future for him to contribute. I mean, for goodness sakes, Daryl Williams was the guy getting that work before. But what was interesting is Daryl Williams was active, as so was DeAndre Washington for that matter. But you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire actually saw his highest number of long down and distance snaps this year was 60%. Um, and they didn't have a two-minute offense situation because they were blowing the Broncos out pretty much the whole game. So Edwards-Alaire, let's keep an eye on it. You know, who knows? They could, they may not use Bell in the passing game. They may want him to be more of a guy, you know, taking more of the carries and they want to get Edwards-Alaire, you know, involved in the passing game more. You know, he was certainly good at that at LSU. So I think, you know, the jury's still out. Um, but I will say that, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I do think we've seen, you know, his best days this season because it's going to just cap, you know, that, that upside. Um, so as far as, you know, your Chiefs, you're going to be starting them, but at the same time, you know, you're not overly excited just because it could be a blowout. Oh, one other quick note. What's interesting, man, Byron Pringle is now outplaying Nicole Hardman. 
Yeah, we, we we know Dwayne. Quit reminding us, man. God. Well, I think honestly, like from a football terms perspective, uh, you know, Hardman's he's terrible at run blocking. So when they get out to these leads, there's not really a use for him. In the games where they're in tighter situations and they need more firepower, I think those are going to be the situations where you're going to continue to see Hardman, you know, get utilized more. And when he's on the field, they'll take more shots. But Pringle, you know, is a much tougher Z type receiver. You know, he's a decent player in his own right. Um, you know, he was very underrated coming out of college, but last week, 62% of the routes the week before 50% of the routes, he's not seeing, seeing a ton of targets, but just think, and I, a guy to keep an eye on, you know, if you're in a super deep dynasty type format, you know, if he's not rostered, he's a guy just to keep in mind, you know, if they play for the chiefs and there's a chance they could turn into a top three target for Patrick Mahomes, you know, that's always something you're paying attention to. And for the record, I'm very well aware that most people probably did not know that stat about Byron Pringle. But as someone that, you know, spent way too much time this summer touting Miko Harbin as, you know, the best handcuff wide receiver in the league, it is incredible to me that even with Sammy Watkins out, they cannot get a guy that broke the record book for most yards per target as a rookie he, he, uh, more opportunities. He still might be the most valuable handcuff. Maybe just the wrong receiver yeah. is hurt. No, you know, Sammy is really the handcuff with Robinson, I think. And then that moves Robinson from that Z spot and opens it up for Pringle. But if Tyreek Hill were to go down, I think we could see a potentially different situation. That's fair. And, you know, it was me putting a little too much faith into a situation that we didn't, that I did not know as much as I thought I knew. So always be careful, everyone, with these uh, backup situations. You know, we get burned Alexander Madison, even though I think that was just a low range. But regardless, you know, some, someone new is coming up into a role that we have not directly seen before. Do not act like Ian Hardison. No, you know everything there is to know about Miko Hardman and the Chiefs. Uh, next matchup here, we got the Titans at the Bengals. Titans opened up at three and a half uh, point favorites. Now they are up to five and a half over under holding steady at 55 so Dwayne it was two weeks ago it was AJ Brown's first game back we were recording the podcast during uh Titans Bills and the guy found the end zone while we're recording it's been destiny we've been sticking true to AJB wide receiver one season all year on the PFF fantasy football podcast and it's been great so far he's gotten 23 of 32 targets for 332 yards and four scores and look he's regressed just like everyone else thought he would because you can't be as good as he was in 2019 and 2020 he's gone from 12.5 Yards per target down to 10.4. His yards off the catch per reception has gone down from 9.4 to 6.3. Guess what? Those are both still very great numbers. They're just not, you know, again, setting records for like what we've really seen from rookies in recent memory here and the type of workload he had and the big change that we, you know, expected with the regression. This is the thing. And, you know, we've seen this with regression before where, you know, guys have the crazy passing touchdown rates and they regress. But, you know, there's a regression in the efficiency, but we don't pay enough attention to when the volume goes up the following year because the guy just got done having such a great season. Why wouldn't the Titans throw A.J. Brown the ball more after what he did in 2019? And that's exactly what we've seen this year. 5.3 targets per game in 2019. That's all the way up to 8. And look, I mean, Tannehill is being more trusted than ever. You know, we're seeing them really uh, just not not afraid to lean on him anymore as they shouldn't be. The guy's been playing fantastic over these past two years and they're making a concerted effort to get A.J. Brown the ball because he's a stud. Five targets inside a 10-yard line. Four of those have been caught for scores. We finally started to see some of that big time yak ability flash itself last week it's awesome i still don't even think he's operating at 100 man which is wild that he's still putting up these sorts of numbers you know we're seeing him miss at thursday practices but for the rest of the year when he's out there aj brown it's a top 12 wide receiver everyone you love to see it Dwayne, what's going on with the Bengals? Yeah, one other thing on the volume, right, is, you know, Tennessee's just running far more plays. I mean, Mike Vrabel's always had his thumb, you know, on the offense, 
uh, pretty much year in, year out. You know, they, it was crazy. And you would see them running 55 plays a game, 50 plays a game. You know, if you look at this year, they're averaging 70, right, which is slightly over the league average. Just so by the just by the volume alone that's running through the Titans' offenses as they've opened up things more, um, you know, that's a huge thing for Brown. So even if his target shares technically stay the same as they did last year, the volume alone lifts him. Now, if he continues to take on more of the targets, right, we could see even bigger things to come, you know, from Brown. And, and the only other thing I would say about it is efficiency is going to come down when your play volumes go up because part of what that means is, you know, one, your defense isn't playing as well, which we can, we'll talk about the Bengals here in just a second. But whenever you think about, you know, uh, these games where you're getting, you know, behind in some cases – um, you know, they're not going to use the play action quite as much. And some of those things are what drive your efficiency. But the good news for Brown is, you know, the rates are still really high around play action. His air yards are still solid, solid. And like you said, even though yards after the catch are down, that's still really, you know, elite numbers. As far as the Bengals go, I mean, pretty much like in this situation is like smoke them if you got them, <laughs> you know, this weekend. I mean, if you look at, you know, from a quarterback standpoint, they've got the fourth best matchup. You know, uh, if again, the way I look at this metric is you take the average of a quarter of the quarterbacks coming in playing the, the Titans and then how what's the difference, right, versus the Titans, and it's a plus 3.7. Running backs, the fifth best. Now, you're dealing with Geo most likely this week. Mixon still, you know, looks like he's going to be iffy. Um, but wide receiver, man, um, is the fourth best matchup, plus 7.6. And I have to mention, you know, uh, I know we're both big T. Higgins fans, and that remains. But I have to give a small shout-out here to A.J. Green. I know a lot of people got fed up with him. You know, there was probably, you know, the – you know, the rage drop, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not going to say I didn't maybe do that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you look at Green over the last two weeks, man, it's 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 pretty insane. 24 targets over the last two games. That's 28% and 28% over those two games. And then if you look at his air yards, 341 air yards over the last two games. Average depth of target, 13.1, 15.2. If there's a game, you know, he, the guy's due to blow up, even though he may look, you know, he he's actually looking a little better. So maybe he had some health issues going on. He still doesn't look like the old AJ Green that we're used to. But I think AJ Green this week, man, I consider him, you know, he's a fringe wide receiver one in this matchup. Everyone has torched the Titans and you already mentioned the line and how close it looks. This could easily be a shootout. I am with you there. And yeah, AJ Green, the biggest change I think I've seen kind of in the usage, he's still getting the air yards, but it seems like Burroughs just accepted that Green is not going to get his step on anybody. And he's just throwing the back shoulder as much as possible. And Green, he's still a big guy and he's able to come down with their contested catches. So, you know, it's a rookie getting getting more chemistry with his wide receiver one as they continue to play together. Who would have thought? And you are not the only one out there to rage drop AJ Green, so don't beat yourself up too bad about that. I'm beating myself up right along there with you. Uh, Rams at Dolphins up next. We got the Rams sitting as three and a half point favorites over under is at 49 so it's a little bit unclear if Sean McVay hates Cam Akers personally or just professionally but you know regardless we got to kind of move on and just accept what it's been you know after saying that the rookies role would be increasing uh, following that week five game where Akers had the long run against Washington he has had zero touches over the last two weeks I believe he did get a rush attempt uh, on Monday night but it got just you know it was a holding penalty or something so it didn't go down in the books however you want to slice it he is just far and away the RB3 
it's not even fair to really call him an RB3 in this offense because he is just more or less a bench player that gets on the field for maybe one or two snaps. Will this change? I don't really know because last year we saw pretty much the same thing happen with Daryl Henderson, and it really didn't change all season. So Henderson has been the lead back, 14 touches in all but one game since week two. And why not? He's PFF's third highest graded running. He has PFF's third highest rushing grade among 69 qualified backs. And look, I mean, this matchup, I think we're finally getting the point. You know, I'm knocking on wood as I'm saying this, but I think we're finally getting the point that we can start to treat Henderson as a weekly uh, top 20 option at the position. Dolphins, you know, much better pass defense than they are against the run. They've allowed the eighth most uh, PPR points per game to opposing RBs. You know, again, it's a little bit annoying that Malcolm Brown is staying as involved as he is, and I don't think he's going away anytime soon, but there's not this, you know, okay, Malcolm Brown might get a touchdown on the goal line, but it's not like every time they get inside the five-yard line, they're just actively yanking Henderson off the field in favor of Brown. Usually, whoever's in there on this, in this series and they get inside the five-yard line, that guy is going to get those touches more times than not unless there's some weird uh, stoppage of play going on. So, Henderson, you know, I'm firing up as an RB2 this week. And Brown, hey, you know, you can do worse than 10-plus touches uh, uh, per game potentially inside of, you know, one of the league's more run-heavy offenses. But, you know, he's always going to be more of a touchdown-dependent RB3, I think, here moving forward. Dwayne, it's two a time. What's up? Yeah, man, just quickly on Brown, I think you you hit a lot of good points. You know, really his key role is he's the guy they trust in the two-minute offense. He's the guy they trust on long down and distance situations. So he's seeing 85% of the work in two-minute offense, 80% of the work on third down or fourth down and plus seven yards to go. Um, inside the five, he's only got 41% of the snaps, which I say only. That's, you know, pretty good. Um, but it's like you said, he's not out there all the time. He only has 23% of the rushing attempts inside the five. So really when he's out there, uh, a lot of times that's a longer down and distance situation um, where they're getting him on, on the field. And you actually saw that some last night. You saw some plays where they were down there with Henderson. You get to third down, even though you're inside the five, inside the seven, eight yard line, they bring Brown in because he's just the guy they trust in that situation. So I, I agree. There's there's things that could be worse, but you know he should be rostered in most formats because, man, we don't know. I mean, Acres can't get it get on, get on the field even in these blowout you know type scenarios, which is really concerning because you think they would just want to keep Henderson healthy and let him run out there, but they're not. Um, as far as two a time goes, man, um, you know this is a situation that for me I'm just avoiding. You know this weekend, um, it's not a great matchup against the Rams. You know the you know it's the fifth worst matchup from a fantasy perspective for quarterback. You know we got a rookie playing. Um, you're going to have Jalen Ramsey. You know probably taking away Devontae Parker, who's still nursing an injury. By the way, you got Preston Williams who's still just not they don't seem to quite trust him fully yet you know his routes are bouncing around all around you know they'll be down in the 60s then up to the 70s then down to the 60s so they're rotating a lot of guys in and out um, you know it's a neutral matchup for tight end you know and Gusecki's you know running plenty of routes he's seeing you know plenty of work so I mean he could be involved but I think it's just a situation to avoid you know for this weekend I'm not going to look to use Anything from that matchup, you know, on the Dolphin side, even for punt plays, anything like that in DFS, I'm fully avoiding it if I can. If I have to start Parker because, you know, I don't have another option, I will, but I'm not happy about it. Yeah, I'm with you. It's a wait-and-see approach. People, I mean, we got to realize that Ryan Fitzpatrick has been playing really well this year, and it's not a guarantee that Tua, you know, coming off the bench is going to be able to replicate that, particularly when it comes to, you know, predicting how the other uh, fantasy production of the guys are going to be. All right, we got the Colts at the Lions next. Colts are sitting as three-point favorites, overrunners at 51. You hear that, everyone? You hear that? Listen. That's Jonathan Taylor's buy low or buy even window closing as we speak right now. Told you last week, telling you this week again, 
Go get Jonathan Taylor before the top five upside that we have been hoping for since week one when Marlon Mack went, went down will come to fruition. Week eight, we got the Lions. After that, listen to this schedule. Ravens, Titans, Packers, Titans, Texans, Raiders, Texans. And when you're in the fantasy championship because you got Jonathan Taylor, you got to take on the Steelers in week 16. So that's unfortunate. I understand the Ravens isn't a cakewalk either. Either Otherwise, every single matchup is versus defense that ranks 18th or worse in PPR points per game allowed to opposing RBs. We've seen Jordan Wilkins get get a combination of hurt and also just kind of phase out of the offense a little bit in recent weeks. Naeem Hines is more and more just being used as, you know, more of a pass down only back. That's not ideal, but we never, we always knew Jonathan Taylor wasn't going to get that role. What the role he does have is as the undisputed early down grinder in this offense with more targets than we were expecting anyway. So schedule could not be better. We've seen with Miles Sanders, uh, you know, numerous rookie running backs over the year. They, They get much better after the bye and particularly into the second half of the season. And everything's working in Jonathan Taylor's uh, f- uh, favor. I understand that he's not going to be the cheapest guy to go out there and get, but if people are treating him like the borderline RB1 that he's been, try to get him right now because he truly still has you know another step to leap uh, before we see him at his true potential in 2020 and beyond. Dwayne, what's going up with the Lions? Yeah, man, as far as the Lions go, you know, I think we talked about this last time, but they're just, you know, they're not living up to the potential really that, you know, we had hoped as far as a passing offense goes, you know, from a swift perspective, you know, we heard last week he was going to really get his role expanded. He kind of did like technically the coaching staff was telling the truth because they gave him more attempts, but then they took away like 75% of his long down and distance work. They took away 75% of his two minute work and they gave that to carry on Johnson. So there's still three guys involved, but what I will say that's really nice for Swift, if you look over the last three, if you look over the last two weeks, his first read targets, which the average for a running back in the league last year was 37%, his first read targets are 75% and 80%. So even though they're taking away some of that, you know, work on the long down and distance stuff, you know, they're, they're really trying to get him involved in the game plan. They want to scheme up plays to get the ball in his hands. His average depth of target is, is beyond the, the line of scrimmage, you know, which is always good. That's what you see with the guys like Kamara, McCaffrey, um, some of the guys that really put up some of the better fantasy points you know so he's obviously right there on the fringe you know he's a he's a fringe rb2 right now you're still gonna have some bumps and bruises you know dealing with him in your lineup weekly but he could continue to keep on taking on a little bit more of the work um you know the last thing i'll say is you know the matchup is not really great you know across the board running back is neutral but from a quarterback standpoint it's it's the fifth worst matchup of the week wide receivers it's the worst matchup you know of uh you know Sorry, not that was the last uh, game on the wide receivers. It's actually the seventh best matchup of the of the week, but against tight ends, it's the fourth worst. So there's an opportunity here for Galladay, you know, to get going. You know, he's got 245 air yards over the last two weeks. So I mean, he's 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 pretty much due. He's not seeing 10, 12 targets, but the six to eight that he sees, you know, are, are continue to be down the field. And we just need him and Stafford to get their mojo going, man. And I think he he could still really finish the season strong. I'm going to say, I think the Colts' defense is pretty fraudulent, man. I don't think they played anyone to this point. Jaguars, Vikings, Jets, Bears, Browns, and then Bengals in the game that they very nearly lost if they didn't get that big comeback. So, we'll see, man. Okay. I, I think Stafford Galladay, I think they get cooking. I hear what you're saying. You know, you're just, I, I like your, you know, system for uh, determining good matchups. But still, early season sample, I'm expecting the Lions to have some success uh, through the airs. Uh, next matchup, we got the Patriots at the Bills. Buffalo sitting as three-and-a-half-point favorites over under a 
45 and a half is down to 44. So it was a somber uh, weekend. The Hardest household having to watch that Cam Newton uh, performance. He really hasn't been the same uh, throw since that week two Seattle game, which I mean, honestly feels like it was 20 years ago at this point. All in all, I mean, 9 of 15, 98 scoreless yards, three picks. Hard to rationalize that game as anything other than awful. Luckily, Belichick, you know, is already going out there and saying, look, he's absolutely, Cam's absolutely remaining the starter. But, I mean, offense looks just so broke at the moment. And until we see anything improve here, I don't really know how we can treat anyone in the offense other than maybe Cam as a potential fantasy option. Because I think the move, if they really want to get back uh, to what was giving them most of success early on, I think it is uh, using Cam Newton as, you know, the guy to spearhead this physical rushing attack. And I think they have the matchup to make that happen. And, okay, we'll see with the Bills because they haven't been a good defense all year even though they really have the talent uh, to be good. They were very good in 2019. Even in games against like the Chiefs where people were kind of really hating on them for that strategy and Clyde Edwards-Elair was running all over them. I mean, they just want to take the game out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. So I don't want to say that they have this like god-awful run defense because they really might not. It might be more of a schematic thing and how they're trying to play opposing offenses. But either way, this year they ranked 19th in yards before contact per attempt, 22nd yards per carry, and 24th in explosive run percentage allowed. So I think it will be a good test to find out if this Bills defense can step up and stop the run when they really need to because to me, the best way you know for this Patriots offense to get back on track would be try to ride Cam Newton, Damian Harris, and just grind the hell out of the ball. So we'll see what happens. Something's got to give. Uh, you know, Deep down in my heart of hearts, I do just have a lot of concern about this Patriots offense getting back on track anytime soon with the way things are going currently. Dwayne, are you optimistic at all about Cam? Cam and then hit me with some Bills talk. The, the Patriots need somebody to help stretch the field. I mean, that's really what's happening here. Nobody really respects any of the vertical prowess of Cam Newton right now, and it's not necessarily his fault. He doesn't really have a lot of options, so there's just no respect. And so teams now know what the Patriots want to do, and they're crowding the line. They're doing everything they need to basically make Cam check out of run plays, you know, or basically daring him, you know, look, I mean, if you're going to try it, I mean, go ahead. But we're going to, that's what we're prepared to stop. They're daring them to try to beat them deep and to do some different things, and they just don't have the personnel to do it. And so they're kind of stuck. So they need to look at making a move, you know, and I know they're the worst at trading for receivers, so they'll probably overpay, but maybe you can get a guy like John Ross for cheap, just somebody else that can get out there, give you a little bit of, Hey, you do have to pay attention to this guy. I know they have Demir bird, but Demir bird's just never really done anything, you know, in his career. And I know John Ross isn't, you know, like any great shakes, but we've seen him in a few games, actually, you know, he, he can uncork it, you know, and so I think he's he would be an option, somebody along those lines. So they've got to do something there. I think it's going to continue to be a problem. Um, as far as, you know, the Bills, you know, rushing attack, like what you were talking about, you know, as far as, you know, how the game could potentially go. I mean, Zach Moss is basically back to splitting, you know, the work. You know, Devin Singletary really had a chance to kind of take this job and, and run with it. Um, he just wasn't able to. So last week you saw 54% of the snaps to Singletary, 47% of the snaps to Zach Moss. Target shares, or, or sorry, routes, 38% and 36%. Targets, 10% and 8%. Uh, I mean, it rushing attempts, 33% and 29%. I mean, it doesn't really get that much closer, like other than just an exact split. Singletary's still slightly ahead. Um, you know, they do like Singletary in the two minute offense, but they, you know, are working Zach Moss in on the long down and distance and they prefer him inside the five yard line. So they each kind of split the work and they have their little specialty that each one gets that could kind of tilt, you know, their touches one way or another, depending on the way a game script goes, but it's pretty much a split at this point. And 
if I am trying to target one of these guys, if I want to own one, I think Moss is the guy I want to own because I feel like, you know, if there is a guy at this point that could take over the backfield, I think my chip's on him because I feel like we've already seen Singletary, you know, have his chance to do it. It's a fair point. And further complicating matters for both guys, the reality that Josh Allen this year, fourth lowest uh, check down rate among 38 qualified QBs. And of course, he is always prone to take off for the end zone himself once they get down inside the 10 yard line. Before we keep on going here, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors at Monkey Knife Fight. Uh, all first time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least 20 bucks in their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just 20 bucks. And you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fans and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20 with promo code PFF and receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. Uh, next matchup here, we got the Raiders at the Browns. Saw Cleveland open up at three and a half. Uh, now they're down to just two and a half point favorites over under down a point as well from 55 and a half to 54 and a half. So I did not anticipate becoming one of Derek Carr's biggest defenders uh, in the 2020 season. But you know what? We roll with the punches. We uh, watch the film, grind the metrics, and we react accordingly. As I think you said two weeks ago, Dwayne, so elegantly, uh, ultimately our job is to kind of present information in a smart and hopefully entertaining way. So that's what I'm trying to do with my my guy, Derek Carr, uh, never thought I would utter those words, but look, he's got five games this year, 250-plus passing yards and at least two touchdowns. He only had four such games the entire 2019 season, only three games in 2018, only three games like that in 2017. So because of this, we're seeing more than just Darren Waller emerge as an actual viable fantasy option. I mean, Nelson Aguilar and Henry Ruggs are legit viable fantasy guys in this matchup because this is looking like a complete potential shootout. I mean, I understand, you know, we got the Falcons-Panthers, Vikings, Packers, even you know Titans, Bengals. There are other games that you think might shoot out a little bit harder, but I'm not sure if either of these defenses can slow down these offenses. And for Carr to be spearheaded the way he is, uh, you know, I am fine treating him as a you know borderline QB one. I believe I have him ranked as a QB 13 this week because he is the QB 13 in fantasy points per game this season. So he's been keeping it up. You know, Gruden. I think a lot of people kind of scoffed when he came back and just wondered how being out of the league uh, for 10 years would do. But I mean, his play design's really been you know the least of the problems over these past few seasons so I know Miles Garrett's a beast you know we have seen pressure you know been the undoing of Carr a little bit over these years but as a whole the Browns ranked just 18th in pressure rate so uh, last week you know nine targets from Nelson Aguilar only three for Ruggs I think that evens out to some extent you know we know Waller's still uh, the, the overwhelming number one option but you know don't be afraid to take some shots on these wide receivers particularly uh, in DFS this week maybe not quite as much uh, in season long because we do kind of worry about that overall target ceiling but you know Carr, Waller, Rugs or Carr, Wall or Aguilar. Uh, I don't know. Go win yourself a tournament. Who knows? Crazier things have happened. Uh, Dwayne, what's going on with the Browns? Yeah, I like the call on Carr, and you're right. We're just reacting, you know, to what we're to what we're seeing. And I agree with you. I think that he's right there in the QB one conversation. Um, and and they're getting healthier. You know, they're only going to continue to get healthier. I mean, assuming they have no more setbacks. But yeah, as far as the Browns go. You know, the big news is we Odell Beckham Jr. is done for the season due to an ACL. So that really opens up the door for Hollywood Higgins, the other Hollywood. He was actually the first Hollywood, I, I guess, like currently there's been so many Hollywoods like, you know, Hollywood Henderson to go back to the Cowboys. But, uh, you know, we've got two Hollywoods going, but this is this is really Higgins and he's going to step right into the Beckham role. He did so last week. 
you know, he had 110 yards receiving. Um, and what's nice, you know, about the role, and we've talked about it before with Beckham, you know, it's it's a lot of play action. <laughs> so you see a lot of really juicy looks. Um, you know, he's a solid athlete. You know, he can run after the catch. He can stretch the field. So I think really, you know, he, he's going to he, – he'll be a boom-bust wide receiver three, you know, type, you know, depending on your format. You know, if you're in a smaller league, obviously he's lower than that. But I'm talking 10, 12, you know – 10, 12 person formats, you know, he's right there in that boom bust wide, wide receiver three, um, you know, range, but there's, there's an opportunity, you know, for him to improve. I mean, this is a talented player and he and Baker Mayfield have shown in the past that they do have some chemistry. So he's a guy that for me, you know, if I've got receiver issues or if I did lose Odell Beckham Jr., I'm definitely putting in bids on him tonight and I'm not going to go overboard, but I'm also not going to be shy about it if I think I need him. Um, the other guy I would mention, you know, obviously is, uh, you know, well, actually the other thing is the tight ends in this offense, like have just really exploded over the last few weeks. So if you look at, you know, what happened uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, actually over the last two weeks before this last week's game, you know, you had Austin Hooper really starting to take off. You know, he was getting back into the tight end one conversation this last weekend. Harrison Bryant picked up right where Hooper was because of the appendectomy. And so we don't know if Hooper's going to be available this week, but the sharp move is if you can, and you've got room, you, if people dropped Hooper, he's a great pickup, you know, and if you need a, if you need a tight end one for the weekend, because you got a buy situation, or you just don't like who you have and you hear that Harrison Bryant is going to be starting because Hooper's out, you know, he's a great spot, a great spot start, you know, to get into your lineup. You know, I think the Millie maker uh, winner last week had Harrison Bryant, you know, in their tight end spot, Ian. So there's that. Can definitely echo those, uh, you know, your sentiment on, on Rashard Higgins, you know, called him an upside wide receiver three option on the uh, waiver wire edition of this podcast that was released on Tuesday. So with it there, you know, you're not firing him up and pretending like he's got that same, you know, wide receiver one ceiling as OBJ. But, hey, you know, we're not, he's not OBJ, and that's fine. He can still be an upside wide receiver three as a starting wide receiver in this offense. Uh, next matchup here, we got the Vikings at the Packers. Green Bay sitting at six-and-a-half-point favorites, over-under down slightly from 56 to 55. So with this Vikings passing game, we know if Dalvin Cook's going to be healthy, that he's going to be the main guy there. And even if he's not healthy, like, just realize that Alexander Madison, more weeks than not, is going to be flirting with 15 to 20 touches. As badly as that Atlanta game went, you know, I do think that if they ran that game, out, you know, a thousand times that would be, uh, you know, towards the bottom of his kind of outcomes with that. But I want to talk about this passing game because this one is setting up as more of a situation where the Vikings could have to put their foot on the gas for 60 minutes. And Kirk Cousins, we've seen some down moments. He always kind of has one or two of these games where you just wonder what this guy is even doing. But as a whole this year, Career high marks in yards per attempt at 8.1 and also average target depth at 10.6. So, look, the offense doesn't want to pass, but when they do, it's been efficient and it's been of the fantasy-friendly variety. So I truly think both Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson can keep this up uh, into the second half of the season. I mean, Jefferson, you know, I've, I've, I got to get more careful about calling guys auto stars because inevitably I say someone's an auto star and one of you people out there in a five-person league uh, will send me some roster with, you know, four top 12 wide receivers and prove me wrong. So not an auto star, but he's someone that should be in the vast majority of fantasy football lineups out there. Only Devontae Adams is averaging more yards per out run this season than Justin Jefferson. He's been doing everything just you could ask for from a receiver and truly looks like uh, potentially the number one guy out of this class. And then Adam Thielen, the dude is on pace for 19 receiving touchdowns this season. He's probably going to see shadow treatment from Yair Alexander again, but you know everyone loves to talk about Yair sh- uh, shutting down Fuller and Ridley and uh, Mike Evans, but you know you look at it, oh, what's that one week one match? 
matchup Yair had. Oh, that was Adam Thielen hanging six catches, 110 yards, and two touchdowns on arguably the best cornerback from the 2020 season. So look, it's a hard job. Yair barely ever has safety health. But, you know, this idea that Thielen has always kind of, we've seen both Thielen and Stephon Diggs this year prove that they're anyone's idea of, an, of a wide receiver one in their own right. It sucks we had to, had that, had to have that conversation for the past few years, you know, wondering if one was the product of the other. Let's just all accept that both Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs are great football players, and it looks like the same is also true for Justin Jefferson. Dwayne, what's going on with the Packers? Yeah, man, and Thielen owning Alexander is nothing new. You know, so if we go back to 2018, 12 for 131 and a touchdown, Ooh. 9 for 125 and a touchdown. Now, the next year, if you remember, Thielen was banged up off and on. So he had 5 for 75, no touchdowns. And then in the last game of the year, you know, Thielen was really banged up. So he didn't post a catch, you know, um, in, in the coverage, you know, snaps that Alexander had him. But like you said, you already touched on what happened week one. So, I mean, I, I'm not worried about it at all. I'm, I'm using Thielen in all formats, happy to use him in tournament plays as well. So if, if by chance, you know, that shadow coverage, you know, scares off, you know, a few percentage, you know, points of ownership, then, you know, I'll take that on Thielen all day long. You know, on the other side of the ball, obviously, I don't have to tell anybody to start Devontae Adams, but I mean, it's a great matchup. You know, this is the second best matchup of the week from a fantasy perspective for wide receivers. Um, Aaron Rodgers is actually absolutely back on point. You know, he talked about the week before when they really got, you know, blown out by Tampa that they needed a wake up call. Well, he responded, you know, really well this week. Um, so, you're going to start your Packers receivers. Just keep an eye on Alan Lazard. You know, he's not going to play this week, but, you know, he's getting closer to coming back. Um, so when he does, most likely he will take back over that number two wide receiver role in a very potent offense. Um, you know, and Marquise Feldens Scantling will go back to wide receiver three. Okay. All right, moving on here. We got the Saints at the Bears. New Orleans sitting as three-point favorites. Over-under is at 47. So I'm going to list some receivers right now, and you're going you're to know all of them. They're all studs. We got DeAndre Hopkins, Tyler Lockett, Calvin Ridley, Stephon Diggs, Amari Cooper, Travis Kelsey, Robbie Anderson, Adam Thielen, Terry McLaurin, Tyler Boyd, and Allen Robinson. Now, why do I list all these solid wide receivers? Because those are the only guys this season that have more PPR points from purely receiving production than Alvin Kamara. This guy is literally a fancy wide receiver one, and everything we get at the rushing usage is just a cherry on top of the Sunday that is Alvin Kamara RB1 season. Even with Christian McCaffrey coming back, let's say he comes back full health and gets his role, it's going to be tough to potentially fire him up over Kamara again. You brought up that great stat earlier about, you know, the usual average of running backs being their quarterback's first read. I believe he said the average about 35, 36%. That's what Teddy Bridgewater is at this year, you know, throwing to Mike Davis and even McCaffrey before that. He's right there at that league average. Kyle Allen, as we're seeing in Washington this year, was nowhere near that league average. He targeted McCaffrey on his first read on 54% of his, uh, you know, targets to McCaffrey last season. So it's a little bit unsure if McCaffrey's going to eat the same, to the same extent we saw last year. And currently this year, Kamara's not getting the same, you know, 20-plus rush attempts that we've seen McCaffrey get. But, you know, in formats where we're getting an entire point per reception, we care far more about that passing usage. And, oh my gosh, it's literally bigger than McCaffrey's was last year because Kamara is on pace for 123 receptions, not 81, 123. And CMC's 2019 position record was there at 116. So, Alvin Kamara, he's was someone that was banged up last year, kind of affected his uh, you know tackle-breaking ability. But you see him out there, man, just one of the most fun players to watch with the ball in his hands, period. And the fact he's getting this uh, fantasy-friendly of a workload, uh, you just absolutely love to see it. Overall RB1 of the week, and I'd be surprised if someone really takes him off that mantle uh, in any of these you know near future weeks uh, that are coming up here soon. What's going on with the Bears? 
Yeah, the big thing with the Bears this week from utilization perspective is Darnell Mooney jumped up to 89% of the routes. He had 18% of the targets, 162 air yards. Um, now, I, I do believe one of those came at the very end, just kind of, you know, Foles chunking one up. So you, you got to count some of that in. Uh, but, you know, the Bears really need, you know, a second option, you know, to step up. Now, Jimmy Graham's been nice, um, but they need somebody to help stretch the field. Now, while while Allen Robinson can do that, you know, he's really best served, you know, more like, you know, a Devontae Adams working intermediate, working underneath. Yeah, he can get down the field, but but he's the guy that just keeps everything moving for you. And you need somebody else to help stretch the field, push that safety off the top. And maybe Darnell Mooney can do that. Um who knows if they can get any kind of quarterback play to make that worth it. But <laughs> just so you guys know, if you're playing in a super deep league, you know, Mooney is a guy that you can pay attention to. Uh, you know, he's going to, he's going to see some valuable targets down the stretch. Um, the only other thing I'll say, and I want to get your thoughts, Ian, like I'm done. David Montgomery. Yes. He's getting all the utilization, but I've seen enough. Like the guy, he, the things he did that made him really good in college are not good enough in the NFL. You know, his foot quickness is, it's not, his foot speed is not enough, you know, and he made guys miss, you know, he used wiggle. He's a lateral guy. Um, he doesn't get north and south enough. He really overcuts holes. He, may, he, he makes these huge jump cuts when really he just needs a little one. Um, so there's just all parts of his game. It's not like it's just his driver. It's like his putter, his, his, you know, his wedge, you know, his mid irons, all of it is just off. You know, the only thing he has going for him is volume. And, and he's a guy that I've watched pretty closely over the last three weeks. And, man, I, I just don't see it for David Montgomery. As a friend of the podcast, the ringers Danny Kelly said, if you need 10 fantasy points, David Montgomery gets you 10. If you need 13 fantasy points, David Montgomery will get you 10. So I'm with you, man. And we've actually seen the broken tackles metrics get up there. And that's what kind of fooled me in the first half of the season, thinking that we were going to see him, you know, take this nice leap forward. But ultimately, he has just one run over 15 yards. You see it on the film. It's clear as day to anyone watching it. He just doesn't have that sort of explosiveness to consistently pick up chunk yards. At some point, man, look, we're looking at the 27th ranked offense right now. I mean, they got to do something to try to spark this run game if they're not going to be able to do it from the quarterback position. I wish my guy Cordero Patterson was just, you know, ripping off chunk gains behind him and, you know, really pushing for more time. But that hasn't exactly been the reality either. Other than Allen Robinson, yeah, tough to really see anyone in this offense providing, uh, you know, something resembling consistent fantasy production. Uh, next matchup here, we got the 49ers at the Seahawks. Battle of banged up backfields. We got the Seahawks sitting uh, three and a half point favorites. Opened up at six and a half. Overrunners at 54. So I'm not sure if Jimmy G can keep up when these weapons are gone. They don't have, you know, the high quality run game. And now that yak god, Debo Samuel, you know, is going to be out for at least one or two weeks. So, I mean, this year, 67.9% of Jimmy G's passing yards have come on yards after the catch. Dwayne Haskins is the only quarterback over even 60%. And it's just, it's literally. Kyle Shanahan making Jimmy G into this incredible quarterback that I'm not even saying Jimmy G is bad, but for him to average 9.1 yards per attempt on throws behind the line of scrimmage, the NFL average is five and a half. So we're truly talking about, you know, one of these flips or a scream. Kyle Shanahan is making those types of plays literally almost twice as efficient as, you know, the average NFL offense. So it's wild. Hey, it works to Jimmy G's benefit. And I understand fantasy land. Like it doesn't, you know, a 10 yard pass is a 10 yard pass all the same, whether it's him, you know, getting 10 air yards on it or, you know, in Jimmy G's usual case, like 0.5 inches of air yards on it. But 
you take Debo out of the equation. We don't have, you know, Mostert. We're hoping McKinnon or Hasty or one of these guys to step up. We still got George Kittle, and I do like Brandon Ayuk, but I just wonder, man, like this this has been the cakest matchup of the year against the Seattle uh, secondary. And other than Kittle and Ayuk, I'm just not sure I can be too comfortable with anyone because we don't know what's going on with the backfield. If Tevin Coleman comes back particularly, it's going to be a three-headed committee for sure. And if he doesn't, okay, then I'm a little bit more behind Hasty and uh, McKinnon. But I just don't quite trust uh, Jimmy Garoppolo when the going is going to get tough eventually, which I understand it might not this week. I don't think he has shown enough this year to make us think that he can do what he couldn't do last year, put the offense on his back when they need him to do it. I understand that rarely happens, but just haven't seen much this year to indicate that he's a, he is capable of doing that when they'll need him to. Uh, what's going on with the Seahawks, Dwayne? Yeah, I mean, I think the good news for, for, you know, Jimmy G is that, you know, when he's not pressured, he's fine. Um, the bigger issue will be, you know, you just can't let Seattle jump out, you know, to a big lead. And, and the 49ers, you know, their defense has been definitely sus- more suspect than what we were used to last year. But they've been quietly solid, kind of to your point earlier around Indianapolis. They, they haven't been tested, you know, repeatedly by good offenses. So there's some of that that you wonder how much of that is really built in, you know, to – to, you know, some of their performances. But I mean, for me, I mean, I think Jimmy G is a solid option, you know, this week. And I think, you know, Ayuk, if, if you've got him, like you got to get him in your lineup, you know, unless you're in a really, you know, small format. But if you're in, you know, a 12 person league, you got anybody on by, I'm happy to get Ayuk into, you know, my lineup, you know, he and Kittle are going to be peppered, you know, with targets. You could even see, you know, in a tournament play, maybe a guy like Bourne, but, but the key will be is, the game needs to stay close because that's, you know, that's when Kyle Shanahan can keep all of these cool things that you talked about intact, which are what really helps, you know, what really helps Jimmy G, um, you know, succeed. He, he's truly, he is a system quarterback. I mean, that that's just what it is. Um, if he's truly in a situation where he's got to drop back and he's got to throw the ball multiple times and the, and the opposing team knows that it's coming, that's really not where he succeeds. So that's going to be the key. If the 49ers can keep the game within a touchdown, even 10 points, you know, early on, they'll stick with what they're doing. But if they're all of a sudden down by 14 going into halftime, that's going to be a problem, which is always a possibility when you're playing Russell Wilson and his weapons. Um, But I'm fine with Jimmy G on my teams this week where I do have him, you know, as my backup and I need him. I'm going to start him in a few spots. You know, I think that, you know, he's going to be a fringe quarterback one play. Um, And if the game stays close, you're going to be you're going to be really happy with Jimmy G this weekend. All right, now hit me with some Seahawks goodness. Yeah, you know, sorry. Yeah, as far as the, you know, uh-oh, man. Yeah, I looked at this at the, <laughs> the 49ers first. I was like, dude, why is he doing the 49ers? Eh, you good, brother. Yeah, yeah. you guys know. I mean, with the Seahawks, uh, I mean, there's nothing that I need to tell you that you don't already know. I mean, it's essentially you've got DK Metcalf. You know, you've got... Uh, you know, Russell Wilson, you've got Tyler Lockett, you're going to start them all, you know, and it doesn't really matter what the matchup is. Um, In fact, like, it's funny, right? It goes back and forth. Everybody wants to have this big debate about which one's the best, right? Which one is the one, um, you know, that you want to own on your teams? The answer is you're happy to own either one of them, you know, and then if, if, if anybody just feels, you know, overly confident that, you know, they have the guy that isn't the one to own, then you should be trying to trade for them. Um, but you know, they're must starts every single week, you know, their offense is ridiculous. Uh, Russell Wilson's ability to drop balls like from the heaven. And it's funny, commentators are finally picking up on this. Like this has been going on forever, but now they're actually, you know, talking about his moon ball and things like that. Um, but like, I've marveled at that for like forever. Like even that, that, that pass to the back line, you know, when they were down inside probably the 15 to Tyler Lockett, 
I mean, Tyler Lockett's a small guy, but Russell Wilson is so accurate in the way he can place the ball. It's just almost impossible to defend. I mean, you saw it right out of the gate, the very first play of the game, uh, you know, against Patrick Peterson, you know, to lock it down the sideline. So it's truly something special, man. You know, Wilson's easily the QB one. You know, he's on pace for a record-type fantasy season. So just enjoy it if you have it. Last point on this game I want to ask you about the Seahawks. So this backfield is all kinds of banged up right now. It sounds like Chris Carson probably isn't going to play, but we also got Hyde dealing with hamstring tightness. Homer's got a knee bruise. Rashad Penny's probably going to be away for another week. We're going to need to see how these practice reports and the injury report, you know, shakes out. But let's say Hyde is good to go for Sunday, and we don't have reason to believe that he's going to be limited. Where do you kind of see ranking him in this spot? Yeah, I think you're going to treat him similar to Chris Carson. I don't think he's going to get used quite as much, you know, in the passing game as what they've done with Chris Carson. I think you'll see Homer and DJ Dallas get a little bit more of that work. So I think he's in the RB2, you know, conversation though. I'm not going to get carried away, you know, with him beyond that. And and here's the reason why, like we've seen it, like even, you know, whenever you look at Chris Carson, he's living on efficiency. You know, it's not like the guy's getting 20, 25 carries, even though they'll, they'll build huge leads. You know, he's having to live on the 10 to 15 range, you know, and then he gets a few targets and he's getting into the end zone. So Hyde did that last week. He did run, he ran strong, you know, that one play, you know, where he got his touchdown run, you know, he managed to stay in bounds, you know, just like the blocking that he got, you know, from even from Tyler Lockett, you know, on kind of this, you know, on a downhill play where he's cut, he's, he's on a toss play, you know, and Tyler Lockett comes across, you know, just cuts the DB. I think that was actually Patrick Peterson. I mean, these guys are going all out. So I put him in the RB two range, but I wouldn't quite, you know, expect him to just fully replace what you see from, you know, Chris Carson. Yeah, I think that's fair. Look, I mean, we've had running backs like Mike Davis in the past, Chase Edmonds this week, even Boston Scott, where we knew we were probably at least getting two usable weeks. I'm just not sure if there's enough, you know, expected time being missed from Carson, and even to a lesser extent, Penny, uh, to feel too good about using a bunch of fab on Carlos Hyde. But I'm with you. If he's out there, uh, you know, he will be good for some RB2 production for at least uh, this week. Uh, Quick shout out here. PFF and Sunday Night's Football, Chris Collinsworth, his team of one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means a discussion will venture off the field too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that's happening in the great game of football. So mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. Thank you all for sticking with us. We have three more matchups, and then we are getting out of here. We got the Chargers at the Broncos up next. And, you know, look, we have five quarterbacks this season that are averaging at least 25 fantasy points per game. Russell Wilson, Kylo Murray, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, and Mr. Justin Herbert. 26.2 fantasy points per game from Herbert this season. And he did it against tough competition. And that is the most wild part about this whole thing. I mean, the same Tampa Bay defense that made Aaron Rodgers look more mortal than we've seen since 2019 uh, was a situation where Herbert was able to repeatedly beat them down the field. He's getting pressure a ton. We're going to see a floor game at some point. This guy is going to keep playing this good. But you know what? Chargers have a good roster. Herbert's more ready than we expected. And, you know, I don't care what, you know, everyone out there, you know, been a draft expert or just really following these guys or had a big time opinion on Herbert going to the year. We got to change our opinions on these guys with what we have at the NFL level. So, okay, Herbert, he's had he's in a much cozier situation than Burrow right now. I get it, but we can't just continue to go the well with Burrow over Herbert and with these other guys over Herbert because that's what we've been looking at for the past few months. We need to focus on what's been happening this year with Justin Herbert, and that is that he has been a consistent top five, top six quarterback. So I haven't ranked as a QB seven this week. 
you get. Again, I don't want to hear like borderline QB1. This guy is a legit locked-in QB1 that should be starting in pretty much any fantasy league unless you have a top five, top six option at the position and just overly stacked. So end the season schedule coming up. Broncos, Raiders, Dolphins, Jets, Bills, Patriots, Falcons, Raiders, Broncos. I mean, I get it. The Dolphins and Patriots are above average defenses. But other than that, we got absolute smash spots coming up. And look, 24.2 rushing yards per game. We have seen him, you know, get in situations where they get down the scoreboard. He's still able to move the ball even when they know the pass is coming. Again, this is a weekly fantasy QB1, everyone. Do not get it twisted. What's going on with uh, maybe not quite the same caliber uh, fantasy QB and Drew Locke and the Broncos win? That was actually going to be my lead-in. Uh, Drew Locke is the opposite of <laughs> everything that you just basically said. Uh, you know, and, and the Broncos, they have they have problems, you know, so it isn't just all on lock. But at the same time, you know, they have a nice core of weapons. And, you know, they've got Jerry Judy, who's back to being healthy. Uh, you've got, you know, surprise production, you know, coming out of other guys like Tim Patrick. You get Noah Fant back last week. He still wasn't fully healthy, but I think he'll be close. I think this next week, you know, you'll probably see Fant back to his normal complement, you know, of targets. Um, you know, working in the underneath and intermediate areas of the field. But yeah, it's just, it's the week where I'm just really, uh, I mean, if you've got Melvin Gordon, you know, we're, you're going to have to keep an eye on Philip Lindsay, but most likely he won't be in the game this week. So, so Gordon could have a, you know, a revenge game type scenario. You know, the Bronco, I mean, the Chargers are not a bad matchup. You know, they're, they're neutral really, you know, from a running back perspective. Um, you know, they're positive for a tight end. So Fant's the guy that I would lean to, you know, the most. Um, but the problem is just what you, you mentioned. I mean, I'm just, uh, I don't. I'm not excited about using any of these guys unless I'm in a really in a really deep league, just because of the issues that that Locke's having, um, and just you know they just they're not they're just not in sync. You know their offense when you watch it, it's out of sync. Like you know they just can't get into a rhythm. You know unlike it's again the opposite when you see the Chargers like things are just clicking. If they happen to have a negative play, they can overcome it. When you're watching the Broncos, one bad thing happens and it's like the whole thing falls apart. It's like Dallas. You know, in that way, not quite as bad as Dallas, but, um, you know, they're really struggling. So I'm trying to avoid Broncos, you know, any way that I can. Um, But if you own Jerry Judy, that is looking up 96% of the routes, 82% of the routes over the last two weeks. So it does look like he is going to be the receiver on the field um, for the most part um, all the time whenever they're in passing situations. Yeah, Drew Locke's uh, 18-yard average target depth in Week 6 dipped all the way to 6.9 in Week week 7. It did kind of seem like at some point, man, with all the pressure and just not having much success, kind of seemed to get a little bit shook back there. Had the awesome read option. He was talking shit on it. I was all in on, you know, the swagger fest thing. But, no, maybe my uh, AFC West Jameis proclamations were just a bit too soon. But we'll see. I still think he, uh, you know, I still think that worst-case scenario, Drew Locke can be an entertaining, terrible quarterback in this league. We'll see if he can be anything else uh sunday night football cowboys at the eagles yes i'm groaning inside too everybody not seeing a line at the moment due to the andy dalton situation uh, and you know depending on who we're gonna see under center but a 43.5 point game total because i think vegas knows like we know that you can put anyone under center in this offense and if they're not dak prescott it's gonna be hard to expect much of anything here i mean the reason why the cowboys from 2014 to really the early parts of 2020 could lose uh wide receivers and running backs and even their quarterback and still 
put together, you know, high-end offensive football was because of this offensive line that's always been a treasure chest of ex-first-round picks and just some of the best guys in the league. You take away literally every single one of those first-round picks from the offensive line, and this is what you're left with. The team that is the only team or okay the only team worse with a that was a with a worse point differential than the Cowboys this year is the New York Jets and it really has been that bad if not worse this year I mean even in you know the wins they've had Giants got up on them quick it was a miracle to beat the Falcons just absolutely brutal so you know what we got Ezekiel Elliott. He's still the PPR RB2 somehow throughout all this because of all the receptions and touchdowns. Amari Cooper has that Mike McCarthy. He is the legit alpha number one wide receiver role. Maybe CeeDee Lamb can get going. I wouldn't really count on it. You know, in the immediate future, I'd like to see more than one wide receiver get enabled in this offense. But man, other than Cooper and Zeke, I don't think there's anyone on the Cowboys that you can fire up a confidence, which is just so far away from what we were saying a couple weeks ago. Incredibly unfortunate, but impossible situation, particularly against a defensive line like the Eagles, I think can really take advantage of all those holes across the Dallas front. Dwayne, what's going on with the Eagles? Man, one quick question for you. And if we're, if we're being realistic, right, really what is Zeke rest of the season? I know it's <sighs> weird to say this, right, but... Looking at the line, looking at the quarterback situation, the game scripts are terrible. Everything you said is true. Like his volume is going to be there, but what is you know where would where are you ranking him right now, rest of the way? I would say low end RB one still. I don't think there's ever going to be a situation where you know we're seeing Pollard like actively cut into the workload unless the Cowboys are just getting viciously blown out, which I understand is a you know potential weekly occurrence uh, at the moment. But I just think with Zeke, you know, he does have four games with at least six catches this year. When the Cowboys do happen to find their way in the red zone, I mean, he's going to be the overwhelming favorite to get there. So it's not pretty, but you know, at the end of the day, this is just you know volume over talent. And unfortunately, Zeke has not been showing off the type of talent that we thought he had. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, I think he's still in the RB one, you know, conversation. But if you can move him for a lot, yes, absolutely. Right now in the league, <laughs> where somebody's still totally attached to the Zeke name, and maybe you can get two really good players back, I absolutely would do it because the touchdown upside is really what Zeke. Yes, he's insulated because he gets work, but his touchdown upside is always, you know, behind that line and and in a good offense was always, you know. Would anybody be surprised if he scored 15 to 16 touchdowns? The answer is no. And that upside was always there. That's gone now. You know, we're going to be lucky to see, you know, Zeke, you know, over the rest of the season. You know, who knows? I mean, you know, he's going to struggle to score a touchdown, you know, maybe every other game if they don't get things turned around. So the volume will be there, but I'm, I'm with the end. I think he's a, he's a low-end RB1. As far as the Eagles go, let me give you, you know, a number here, Ian. And you just, it's just out of the blue, and you just have to tell me what it means. 32. Um, days until we celebrate signing Jalen Rager this week? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. But that's the number of targets that Travis Fulgham has. Okay, that was a good guess by me, though. <laughs> that was a good guess. Dude, this is insane, this guy. Uh, 12, 9, and 11. He and Carson Wentz clearly have something going. I, I don't see this changing no matter who comes back, who gets healthy. It doesn't matter. Alshon Jeffrey. You know, I, I'm excited about Rager. They need another playmaker. I'm excited that they'll get Goddard back. They'll eventually get Ertz back. You know, they should be the team that wins the East, you know, because they're just going to continue to get more and more and more healthy. But I think they found something, you know, in this guy, at least for this season. It's, uh, you know, it's clear to me that, you know, Carson Wentz loves him. What's interesting is, like, he doesn't get all the first read targets, Ian. Like, his first read targets, 44% and 64%. So, like, he's literally typically the second guy or after in the progression. But he's the guy that he just, I think it's like, 
covered, covered. I'll just throw it over here to Fulgham and he'll make it happen. Um, but that's, I think, you know, when you look at Fulgham, you know, you just have to consider him to be in the wide receiver two conversation, even though we didn't know who the guy was pretty much, you know, coming into the season. I knew a little bit about him from college, but I didn't expect this. Um, you know, but he, he's just the volume. There's nothing you can do. I mean, you can't argue with it. Um, the only other guy we would talk about real quick is, you know, Boston Scott, you know, obviously in a good situation here against the Cowboys, you know, I would be fine getting, you know, Scott into your lineups this weekend. You know, we'll keep an eye on the Miles Sanders thing, but, you know, as far as, you know, the last I've seen is he isn't very likely to, to play this week. We'll keep an eye on practice reports, but, you know, Scott was the clear leader in the backfield last week, 69% of the snaps, 43% of the rushing attempts, 86% of the two minute offense probably won't be needing that much against the Cowboys, but the long down and distance, 63% and 83% of the snaps inside the five. So Scott, you know, he is sharing a little bit of time, but he showed last week that it wasn't going to be the situation where Corey Clement, you know, is, you know, eating into 40%, you know, of his work. Um, if they get out to a lead, you could see a little bit more of Clement. Last week, they had to basically they were in comeback mode all week, and I think that helps Scott some. But the matchup is great against the Cowboys. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder that you know even when we're looking at running back groups, like we can't just stop the analysis there. Like you know with Jerick McKinnon not being used, uh, one of the reasons why we were able to kind of predict that was that okay when Raheem Mostert was out the first time, so were Debo and George Kittle. When uh, you know Boston Scott was in in Week One, they had all their healthy skill position guys. So you know when you take away a bunch of these just top playmakers in the offense, or you add them back to the equation, we can't assume you know a backup running backs could be leaned on as heavily or as lightly as they were before. Uh, yeah, with you on Travis. Fulgham, man. It seems like every time Carson Wentz starts doing something stupid, the ball just ends up going to Fulgham, and then it doesn't end up being that stupid all the time. I mean, there was a moment exactly. where he was standing in the end zone holding the football with Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphreys on the ground around him, and I, I just had to accept, like you're accepting now, that this man is going to be a consistent wide receiver, too, in the year 2020. Last one for you here, everyone. Thank you for sticking here with us. We got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. Uh, Buccaneers open at 8.5. They are up to 10.5-point uh, favorites over under staying steady at 47. So Tom Brady throwing the ball as well as ever. I know that Chris Goblin is out. Uh, with this uh, fractured finger and Mike Evans, you know, playing through the pain. So Scotty Miller, even Tyler Johnson, I think it's, you know, looking good for this week. But, hey, Antonio Brown is going to come in and be almost an immediate upside wide receiver, too, in this offense. I mean, look, you can think what you want about Antonio Brown as a person or if, you know, he's even going to be the same overall talent that he was, you know, in the year 2018, last time we saw him play consistent stretches. Just realize that while all of us are kind of debating these things and character concerns on the Internet, we've had Russell freaking Will and Tom Brady recruiting this dude for the better part of the last six months. So apparently when Brady came to Tampa, the two guys he wanted were Gronk and A.B. It's what Brady wants. That's that's who he's going to throw the ball to. And when, when now we look at a situation where you know we were wondering, okay, how is A.B. going to fit alongside Evans and Goblin? Now he just might be the only healthy wide receiver they even have out there. So, you know, hopefully he scooped up A.B. You know, it's one of those situations, you know, the classic Wednesday at 3 p.m. You didn't even really have a chance to make it through waivers and all that. So, but yeah, yeah I'm going to be starting him you know in the leagues I picked him up in as early as week nine like I don't think we need to wait around on this they would not have made this splash and even deal with all these headaches if they didn't have the intention of getting him on the field so love an AB week nine and beyond then quickly in this backfield because this is actually pretty huge news uh, from last week with what's going on this has been a three RB backfield ever since last season and you know with with Leonard Fournette coming back the concern was that he's going to come back take away some of the early down work from Rojo and then we still have either LaShawn McCoy or Keyshawn Vaughn on special teams um, excuse me on pass downs 
That is not what happened to everyone. This is very interesting because LaShawn McCoy just got benched and Keyshawn Vaughn was special teams only. So after the game, Coach Bruce Arians confirmed that Fournette is the team's new, they're calling it a nickel RB, which I, I don't hate. That's not, a, that's not a terrible terminology, but it's a two RB backfield, everyone. Two, not three, two. We can work with this. This is going to be something in the range now, 15 to 20, maybe like 12 to 15, but 12 to 15 opportunities per game inside the league's third-ranked scoring offense for both Fournette and Rojo. And you know what? You know We mocked everyone that said Fournette was a good receiver just because he caught 70-plus balls last season. He was you know, the second-least efficient high-usage receiver in the league, but Tampa Bay views him as the pass-down back. You know He caught all but one target last week. That's going to be valuable. And you know we got to wipe away the whole fade Leonard Fournette thing because right now he's looking at a consistent RB2 workload as is Ronald Jones. I really don't think that Fournette coming on is going to be this big disservice to Ronald Jones. Rojo's earned a role. They clearly want Fournette to have a role. I think both these guys can be you know, somewhat consistent every week RB2s. Dwayne, do you agree with me on this backfield? And then what's up with the Giants? Yeah, somebody needs to tell, you, you said that Arians called him their nickel running back. <laughs> so... So many needs to tell Arians what nickel means because really he should be considered their dime running back. You know what happened? So last week, for the first time this season, the Bucks really unveiled this four wide receiver, 10 personnel look for 16 plays. That's 22% of the snaps. Up until that point in the season, they had six total snaps um, from that personnel grouping. And what was interesting about it is in every single one of those plays, Fournette was the back on the field. In fact, at the end of this, in the second quarter, I believe it was the second drive, you know, that the Bucks had, they went to this formation, and that's really where a big, you know, a big chunk of Fournette's work came, you know, on the day. Rojo was still out there starting the game, the first series, the second series when they started off, you know, under center, you know, and they're only in shotgun, you know, on third down. But now what you're seeing is what we saw from Brady, right? Really in New England, they've got all these different ways they can come out and basically probe the opposing offense and see what's gonna. Here's what we think's gonna work today, but what is it? What's gonna actually work? And so they just kind of shifted gears and they went to this four, you know, wide receiver look and back to your comments about Antonio Brown, you know, we could continue to see more of this, but I think what they like, you know, about Fournette in that situation is he's the better pass blocker. I think he's a decent receiver. They're not asking him to do run down the field a lot. There's still more check down and variety, but they got these other receivers working down the field, taking all the defenders with them. You get, you know, a big guy like Fournette, you know, out into space, you know, DBs trying to tackle him. I think there's going to be some really good things to your point that are going to happen there. You know, I consider both of them to still be in that that running back three territory um, because I do want to see, you know, if there are games where, you know, the Bucks just go away from, you know, this four wide receiver set, does that mean now all of a sudden that, you know, Fournette's going to lose, you know, 15 to 20 snaps, you know, in the game. So I think we've still got to see that. What was interesting is Gronk was not on the field for those plays either. So essentially it's four wide receivers and Fournette. That's, that's, you know, essentially what they're trying to do. So, um, Thought that was an interesting thing on Fournette. Uh, not a ton, man. You're on the Giants. I was more excited to talk about the Bucks because of what you were, <laughs> what you were mentioning and that little nugget. Uh, the biggest thing I would say is that Sterling Shepard wasn't just stuck in the slot. It was actually Golden Tate um, that was working in the slot, and Sterling Shepard was on the field for 79% of the routes versus only 62% of Golden Tate. Obviously, we know Darius Slayton uh, never leaves the field. And, you know, He's the guy that's going to be the vertical stretch element, but it does look like Sterling Shepard could could be the number two option, potentially the number one option from a target perspective. I think the most value still belongs to Slayton because this isn't a great offense. So essentially it's just nice if you can get a big play here or there, you get a touchdown. But Shepard looks like he could be, you know, back to, you know, back to health. You know, I know he's got a toe issue, but he looked decent and he was the top target for Daniel Jones. 
I am with you. It's Shepard or Slayton. At least we know that Golden Tate is kind of out of the picture in terms of really taking over this passing game. So if you can go get Shepard out there, someone wasn't happy with him, cut him during that injury, go get him, everyone. You can do worse than six targets per game on a near-weekly basis. All right, everyone, that is going to do it. Thank you, as always, for listening to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Everyone, make sure you go on Twitter. Follow Dwayne at Dwayne McFarlane. You might see his name. Context Matters popping out there. Yeah, Dwayne, is the utilization report already up on PFF.com? Yeah, man, it's up. Submitted it uh, early, early this morning, so it's up and going and ready to rock, so people go check it out. Early week grinding. You love to see it. Thank you, Dwayne, for coming on as always. And thank you for listening to this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Hartson. Until next time, take care, everybody.